When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode 38 of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke LeGrand. And I'm Jess Rubenstein. Thank you for spending your time with us. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. The NHL will finally return this week, and to celebrate the best sport of them all, Bet Online is offering you the chance to win some money while you watch. You can head on over to Bet Online and place a bet on all kinds of different things. They have lines on regular season point totals for all 31 teams, which teams will make the playoffs, year end award winners, season end player statistics, and so much more. But whether you're looking to place a bet on the NHL, the NFL playoffs, or any other sport, Bet Online has you covered. So head on over to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. This is Believe in Hockey Prospects, the show all about discussing the future stars in the game of hockey. We believe in the future. Do you believe? This week, we will talk about the return of hockey in 2021 and chat with author and sportsology expert Russ Cohen. But first... The World Junior Championships are behind us, and we have a lot of things to discuss, Jess. Let's start off by talking about the teams. Only eight of the ten teams moved on to the playoff round. The two teams being left behind in the preliminary round were both Austria and Switzerland. Both of them ended the round with no wins and four losses. The playoff round saw both Canada and the United States as the one seeds. They would both move on to the semifinals, where Canada would defeat Russia and the USA would defeat Finland. In the gold medal game, the USA would hand Canada its first loss of the tournament in a 2-0 shutout win. Team Finland would defeat Russia for the bronze medal. Some players of note, Trevor Zegers would be named the tournament MVP. Zegers led the tournament in scoring with 7 goals and 11 assists for 18 points. Canada's Dylan Cousins would be in second in scoring with 16 points and a three-way tie for third between 2020 draft picks Anton Lundell, Tim Stuzel, and J.J. Paterka, all of whom had 10 points. The goalies of the tournament belonged to the two one seeds after a shaky start against Team Russia. Spencer Knight finished the tournament with five wins, a 9.39 save percentage, and a 1.63 goals against. But the goalie of the tournament has to be Canada's Devin Levi, who had six wins on the tournament, a 9.64 save percentage, and a .75 goals against average. Jess, it was a great tournament to watch. What were some things you liked, and did anything take you by surprise? Really, nothing really surprised. I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I thought United States was the gold medal winner. You know, I said it the last show. I think I called it, but I had at least three of the four teams that were in the medal round. I was shocked by the play of Devron Levy 
from Northeast End. You'd have to go back to uh, when Ken Dryden was playing in the Ivy League to find a Canadian team willing to use an NC2A goalie. Uh, his play was stellar. I think it would also be a shame if we also don't mention, you know, the play of the Slovakian goalie, Simon Lakowski, who I thought kept that Slovakian team in a lot of games they had no business being in, pretty much got them to quarterfinals. I thought Marco Rossi, though, was a bit of a disappointment, but he played on a, a really tough team. Thoroughly disappointed with Switzerland. I've gotten used to a, a quality of play from the Swiss. Quite frankly, they didn't show up. But I think we have a legitimate question to ask about Russia. Is their run over? You know, you see all the things up in the KHL. Teams are having to cut salary because of the worldwide sanctions and the oil money disappearing. Well, that has a trickle-down effect down to their junior programs. So if their major pro league, the KHL, is struggling, then I would expect the MCL is struggling as well. We might see a changing of the guard, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a change as people might think. I think Canada, United States are going to be at the top of the heap. Finland, I think, can't decide where they want to be. I think Switzerland and Sweden expect them to bounce back and be here next year. And who knows what happens with Germany and Austria. Well, Jess, I know you called it, but for me, I think the pleasant surprise of the tournament was seeing the USA win gold. After that first loss, I'll admit, I was skeptical of what USA will be able to do all tournament long, but they proved myself and a lot of other people wrong. Spencer Knight looks like all he needed was one tune-up game, and he was set to go because I know there's a lot of talent on this USA hockey team, but they do not win that gold medal game if Spencer Knight is not in net. He came to play, and he played hard. He looked sharp. He moved well. He wasn't afraid to attack the puck. He really showed why he's the number one guy there. I think in terms of underwhelming performances, a lot of eyes are on Team Russia, like you said, Jess. Russia benefited in this past draft from having their guys play games while all the North American kids sat at home. But we got nothing out of Shakir Mukhamadillon, only one goal out of Igor Chinnikov, nothing too special out of Yaroslav Askarov, who would have benefited a lot from a good tournament. A lot of people expected Russia to make a run, and aside from guys like maybe Rodion Amirov and Murat Kusnadinov, I don't have too many great things to say about the Russians. In all honesty, I expected what happened between Russia and Team USA to happen. I honestly believe that the difference for the United States was going to be Dustin Wolf. The players have indicated that Wolf was the guy that drove them during practices, which is a great thing to have for a backup goalie. He did it. But see, I'm used to Dustin Wolf, who plays for Everett in the Western Hockey League. I knew he was a money goalie. That's where I based my USA prediction on. My kudos, though, to Spencer Knight. If you remember looking at him after he got the yank against Russia and he looked like a pouting little boy on the bench, for him to refine his game after a day off, kudos to the boy. feel sorry for those in Hockey East who have to now face this kid. He impressed me the hell of a lot, especially... Shutting out Canada. I don't think I can remember the last time I saw Canada shut out in a medal game. I think looking at the tournament and the big scale of things, 
there's two fan bases in the NHL right now that should be very excited now that this tournament is behind us. The first one is the Florida Panthers, and we just talked about how great Spencer Knight looks. But right across the ice from him in that gold medal game was Devin Levy, who the Florida Panthers took with pick 212 of 217 this past draft. Man, he looks like he's going to be a problem to deal with in the future. Canada hadn't trailed in a game all tournament until they played the USA. And a lot of people up to that point said their only weakness would be their goaltending. Levi made some beautiful saves. You can make the argument, I suppose, he didn't have to work very hard until the playoff round. But he stopped a lot of different pucks in those seven games that he played. He was the perfect starting goalie for Team Canada, a great pickup by the Florida Panthers. With the way the world works, I doubt both him and Knight will be a part of the Panthers organization in a few years down the road, but I'm sure it's going to take a king's ransom to get one of them out and bring it on over to another team. I got to disagree with you. If I'm an NHL fan right now, I want to be a fan of the LA Kings. You beat me to it, Jess. You beat me to it. That's my other team. They had nine different players across six different teams in this tournament. And they all played well. If I'm an L.A. King fan right now, you know, I'm putting aside my cigars. I'm getting my, my little white towels to get ready to wave and my white and, and purple and gold T-shirts. As many players as they had, I think to me that's a record. I can't remember an NHL team having that many quality prospects playing in the World Juniors, and I would say at least six of them good shots at making the NHL. The Kings, to me, are the ones who are probably sitting back just having a big-ass smile. Look at Team USA alone here. All three guys, Brock Faber, Arthur Kaliev, and Alex Turcott, all played key roles on a gold medal team. Tobias Bjornfort did well for himself on Team Sweden. Casper Simon Table had seven points for Team Finland. The only thing I would worry about for LA, and this is going to sound like a crazy statement to make, is that this tournament seemed to sour a lot of people on Quinton Byfield. It seems the conversation has become that for a guy who went number two overall, he could have contributed a little more consistently. But I I'm not ready to throw the book at him. I think with players of his caliber at his age, we need to look at the whole body of work and give them a chance at the NHL level before we're sure what kind of player he could be. But if that's your biggest issue, LA Kings fans are going to make out very well with this prospect pool that they've got in front of them. Well, I want to knock the people who come down and trash the kid. Factor one, how many games did this kid play before this tournament start? Zero. How many times did he had to shut down, not once, twice because of COVID? You're asking him to go from a dead start to all-star expectations? Please don't do that. That's ridiculous. Why not say that all of Team Canada sucked when the fact is they ran into a perfect storm? Team USA walked into that gold medal game remembering what happened when they last played as a team in the under-18s of Canada. Everybody kept reminding them about losing to Canada in a heartbreaking manner. You couldn't build a big enough bulletin board to fire up Team USA. They played a perfect game. They made no mistakes. If you're going to trash anybody, trash yourself, because you're not being fair to these players. These are 18-year-old kids. I mean, get real. Get real. Seriously, get real. Just one more piece of news to talk about. In the first exhibition game for Team Canada, Blackhawk center Kirby Dock broke his wrist on a collision with another player. 
He's had successful surgery, but the timetable for his return is going to be four to five months, which would essentially rule him out of the regular season. This has opened up a lot of conversation on whether or not the Blackhawks should have let Doc join the team in the first place. What's your stance on the matter? If you are either drafted or already played like he did, Doc is in and got NHL games under his belt, don't send him. And I'll get into this when Russ comes on. I'm a firm believer that these tournaments, whether it's under 20, under 18, should be played by players who are draft eligible, not or any draft picks. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if, say, a collision in the middle of the ice, Degrasse and Bernier or Knight, if anything would have happened long term to these kids? I just think that once they've been drafted, they should just you either enter the draft and be drafted or you keep yourself eligible so you can play in these tournaments. I just think once you become drafted, you really shouldn't play. You should be looking out for not only your team's future, but your own personal future. You'll have chances to play for your national team when there's the national champions and if they return back to the Olympics. But all those Ranger fans who wanted Lafreniere, wanted Kako, I bet you they would be freaking out if those two guys would have wound up in Doc's footsteps. I totally see your point here, Jess, but I'm actually on the other side of the coin. I really hope this doesn't discourage teams from sending players in the future. When it comes to a guy like Lafreniere, I totally understand not wanting to send him. That guy is supposed to be a generational talent. You wouldn't want to risk it. But this injury in particular, somehow the hockey gods managed to make it so that it just had to happen to the number three overall pick with a promising sophomore season. I really believe what happened to Doc was nothing short of a freak accident. It could have happened in a practice scrimmage. What happened to Doc was not something that playing in this tournament specifically would have taken him out of action. I think it's easy to Monday morning quarterback the decision and say it was a bad move, but I think it's worked out enough in the past that I hope it doesn't set a precedent going forward. We've got guys like Barrett Hayton, who went number five overall. He scored the tying goal for Team Canada in the gold medal game last year. The Blackhawks sent Henry Yokoharu to be on the gold medal team for Finland two years ago. Let's not forget these stories when the Blackhawks get trash talked for this specific move. I'm sure going forward, we're not gonna see it happen anymore. The fact that it's happened is going to be enough reason for teams not to send their guys in the future. But boy, oh boy, I hope it doesn't stay that way. Because having these guys, I think it makes the tournament exciting. I think it pumps them up. And I think it makes, when they come back, it makes those teams that they rejoin more exciting. My other thought on this is the fact that the guys that have already been drafted, they don't have much to worry about. But if we go with guys who haven't been drafted, it opens up a possibility for those who have been missed overlooked an opportunity for some of these guys who were late bloomers to give themselves a chance to shine and maybe convince a scout to take a chance on them. 10 team tournament of nothing but hungry players. And I think you're going to have a handy dandy hockey tournament for everybody to see. Well, it's a shame the World Juniors Tournament has come and gone so quickly, but just lucky for us, we have plenty of hockey ahead of us in 2021. The NHL is set to return this coming Wednesday. The WHL has just announced their commitment to play. And college hockey is back in full swing. We've already had 15 games on Friday. And today we've got 15 more. Some are still in play right now. What are you most excited about, Jess? Well, honestly, I'm still holding my breath a little bit. The NTHC, they had it right. 
They had all of their teams playing in a pod. They played 38 games. They didn't have a single problem. As soon as they left the pod, as soon as they came out, bam, they got slammed by the COVID. And it's just simply been too much. They're having trouble. I mean, yes, they got two games in today, three in Hockey East, two in ECAC, two in Atlantic. You know, I'm going to take a wait and see. I question some of these schools that are getting to play now. My question is, will they have enough games to qualify for the tournament? Or will we have a quality tournament? A lot of players are making it. Some aren't. Who knows, Luke? It's crazy to think of how far we've come since we've started this show, though, Jess. College hockey is now going to be in full swing. We're going to see a lot of the players there back on their teams. A lot of the guys that left for juniors are coming back. And then on top of that, Jess, we've got the WHL making their commitment to play, announcing their 24-game schedule today. Nothing official yet, but Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet has said that they will make a return plan. Hopefully it will be out by the time this episode is released. But he says that they're eyeing a late February start, weekends only. Some teams are going to share the rink. Hubs have been discussed but have not been decided on. And some U.S. teams may move to Canada for the season. Absolutely crazy to think about. I think that one, you're talking about the Portland Winterhawks, Spokane Chiefs, Tri-City teams, Seattle, Everett. I think it's not fair for them to have to cross into Canada to stay there and not play a single home game. I think it hurts the sport if they do that. If you're going to play 24 games, fine. Play 24 games, but find a way to keep your fans involved. The WHL just seems so incredibly compromised, and we've seen what's happened with the Q and how much the OHL has had to push their season back just to make it happen. I feel really bad for all the players trying to make it in the WHL and have to deal with all of this nonsense. I think that's just the word we've got to use now because there's so many restrictions still in play. We figured we'd be over this 10 months later after the coronavirus has started, but this is the world we live in and that's what they're going to have to put up with. But Jess, let's talk about the big leagues really quickly. I know Russ is coming up, but let's get your thoughts real quick. Who's a name of a prospect not named Alexis Lafreniere you're excited about this season? Because I cover the Rangers the most, I do see them and I watch them a lot. Very impressed by the work I've seen out of Matthew Robertson. I'd be surprised if the Rangers keep him in order to uh, not waste a year of his contract, his ELC, I really was impressed by him. I think DeAndre Miller is probably going to have the biggest flash of them all. And I think fans are forgetting that Igor, he's still technically a rookie. With Henrik gone, the Rangers have made him pretty much his show. I think both he and Grigoriev are going to give the Rangers a realistic shot to make a playoff run. And if they could figure out a way to get the defense to coexist and play well, this could be a very surprising Ranger team. I think out West, Arizona might do it. Texas, I had them in the top until this COVID nonsense hit them. That's had to force me to reevaluate. So I would say Arizona, Colorado, out west. Unfortunately, my fantasy hockey commissioner listens to this podcast, so hopefully he won't pick up on all my hot tips here. But I think everyone is sleeping on Kirill Kaprizov on the Minnesota Wild. It seems like this man is going to be the savior that this team has been looking for. He's been a goal scorer everywhere he's been. 
He's going to make an exciting impact when he gets to the Minnesota team. I think he's going to be a good choice for maybe even the Calder winner. A lot to think about. And also a guy who's got only a couple NHL games underneath his belt, but Eric Brandstrom looks like he's going to be a solid part of the Ottawa Senators defense. Ottawa has significantly improved this offseason with all of their moves. Brandstrom's got a huge ceiling. I'm pretty sure he was involved in the Thomas Tatar trade, I believe, that sent him to Vegas. So hopefully we see him play all 56 games with the Ottawa Senators. I think he's got a very high ceiling. I think under guys like Thomas Jabot, he's going to learn a lot. And I think he's going to make a serious impact in the NHL. Russ Cohen is here. Are we ready to send it over to him, Jess? Who? <laughs> oh, no. Come on. Russ is one of the best. Having him here today is both a pleasure and an honor. Heck of an author. Anytime we can get Tim to come and talk with us, it's a joy. And joining us now is the man behind Sportsology.com himself, Russ Cohen. Russ, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, guys. Russ, let's start off with the World Juniors and your thoughts about it. How did you feel? Was it a good tournament, middle-of-the-road tournament, or they should have held off? Well, I did feel like they should have held off was my initial feeling. There's no question about that. Then... As things were happening, and I and I felt bad for Germany really being affected and Sweden really being affected via COVID and guys who couldn't make it there. And then eventually the U.S. team with guys that couldn't make it there, Beecher, Master Simone, Vlasic, there's some really good players there, Bordalo. You know, they, they didn't even get to play, and that would have been more depth for the U.S. And so, you know, there was all those thoughts. I felt like they really should have held back on Germany's games, but Germany was the one who said, we want to play and it's fine. So if they wanted to, that's on them. They did great considering. And when they got their starter goalie back, they went, they at least made it to the quarter. So that was a big deal for them and that program. I think after that, it went, you know, similarly, like everybody thought it would go. I picked Russia first, Canada second, U.S. third before it started. But everybody knows good luck picking any world juniors in any year, because most of the time you'll never get all three. Because of the nature of it and the cutthroatness of it play-wise that you don't know what's going to happen. But I felt like the play was good, except for the Germany games early on were tough that they had to get beaten up like that. But it didn't bother them. So in the end, I still felt like it was successful. And I still felt like even a player, like as an example with Germany, Elias... I don't know how much he would have been on the radar draft wise, you know, a five foot nine guy, but for a while he was leading Germany in scoring. When you do something like that and there's not a lot of junior hockey going on, you get noticed. And we always have to remember the guys that do benefit from this, even if they're playing in games that, you know, they get shellacked. So I do think in the end, it was good for the players. Russ, one of the big non-game related stories coming out of the World Junior Tournament is the injury to Kirby Doc. He broke his wrist, he's had surgery. It looks like he's going to be out for four to five months, which would be most of, if not the entire regular season. Do you think this was a bad idea from the Chicago Blackhawks from the get-go? And how do you think it affects NHL teams sending players to the tournament from here on out? Yeah, it's a good question, Luke, because I felt like they did it only because it was leading into camp for the NHL season because it's another odd year. If this were a normal year, they, I don't think they would have sent them. And now I think going forward, teams are going to be very hesitant to send guys that they know have a very good chance of making their NHL roster like the same thing with Nick Robertson and the Leafs. 
I think everybody's going to hold those guys back like the Rangers held Lafreniere back. I think that's going to happen now because of Doc. And I can't blame him because he was their second line center. Like that's a huge loss. He had already played in the World Juniors before. I get that he wanted to play again. And I get from Chicago's perspective, hey, he'll come in hot because he'll go right from this to camp. It'll be great. But it didn't happen that way. I thought the same thing as Russ. I kept hearing about Ranger fans were just screaming and screaming. We needed to send Lafreniere. We've got to send Kako. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I still think we can get a very talented tournament. I would prefer, to be honest, I'd rather see all draft eligibles playing instead of guys who've already been drafted. Teams might want to think the idea is a great idea. Well, Kirby Doc's injury says, no, it's not a good idea. So send just draft eligibles. Let them get their chance to shine, improve their draft standing. Well, we did see a lot more younger players this year, like Brad Lambert. That's a pretty big deal. There were a couple of 16-year-olds in it for other teams, too. So some countries did that, which, you know, that, that's never a bad idea. Another form of hockey that's been affected by the world around us is college hockey. They're very deep into their season right now, but not every player who wanted to play, not every team who originally was going to participate is doing that right now. How would you judge the quality of college hockey this year taking into consideration everything happening around the world? Well, I think it's been good. I've watched quite a bit. I probably have six games to still watch again on my DVR for the draft season. But I think they've been good, actually. But again, we have to remember, what are we watching? 50% of college hockey, if not less. Somebody like Harvard got killed, right? Because Matt Beneers transferred. That's a massive guy to lose. And other guys transferred. So I don't know what the long-term effect now is going to be for the ECAC, because some of those teams lost some very valuable players. But like you watch Michigan and they're like a super team. It's unbelievable the talent they have. And, you know, Wisconsin's still really good. And there's some really good teams. Minnesota's great. They had a bunch of the world junior guys. I still think it's really good. I think they'll get to the Frozen Four. And I think they'll have a pretty good tournament. Will it be as good as in previous years? Maybe not, but I think the excitement will be there. But again, yeah, there's a lot of obstacles. I mean, you go look at the other pro sports, Locally, the Sixers, they had a bunch of guys out today. I have no idea how that turned out today, but I know they were playing really shorthanded. That could happen to any one of these teams, any game, playoff or otherwise, frozen four or otherwise, until COVID-19 is really under control, which it's not right now. So that is the big wild card in any sport right now. The National Collegiate Hockey Conference, they had the right idea. They had that pod, and they got 38 games in, and nobody got affected, and then they left the pod. Now they can't get games in. I mean, left and right, there are teams who are having to cancel out. We look at the typical college scoreboard, and there's probably 30, 40 games on on a Saturday night, and here it's 10 games on the schedule tonight. There's no interconference play. Pretty much the same team is playing each other over and over and over. I'm not going to say it damages the sport. It kind of hurts the credibility. Yeah, I can't say it doesn't, but I think it's better for the guys who could play to play than rather than not play. I've spoken to more than a few people that say, you know, hockey players get pretty pretty antsy if they don't play. And I'm saying, look, I, I get it. There's plenty of people who can't work. There's people who can't leave their houses. But if they're able to do it, it is better for these guys to play so they can develop. Even if you're playing the same opponent over and over again, you're still playing. There is no way 
to scrimmage and actually mimic a game. You just can't do it. So at least if you're playing another team, at least you're playing another team. At least it's not the Globetrotters against the Generals every game. Russ, last time you were here, we discussed a book that you wrote all about how college hockey prepares you for life. And this is kind of crazy to say, but it looks like college hockey is a lot different now than it was just a year ago. All of these players who thought they were going to play that aren't on the ice anymore. We've got conferences canceling the entire season, teams opting out. The transfer portal looks like a nightmare right now. Does that conversation become harder if you're a kid who thinks he has a shot at going professional? Does that decision to play college hockey over, let's say, juniors become a more difficult decision? I don't think so because Canadian Hockey League had just as much, if not bigger, problems. I know the OHL is intending on starting in like a week and a half. I'll believe it when I see it. And I know the WHL said, what, they're having 26 games, Jess? I mean, that's not a lot. 24. 24 games. That's not a lot. And it's a huge mess. And I'll tell you what, as somebody who is a Canadian junior fan, I would say now more than ever, if I had a child who was choosing between the two, I would push him towards college hockey because I know he's going to get the education. Now more than ever, these kids should realize that how important that education is going to be. Well, I think they're probably learning it now when all of a sudden there wasn't any hockey. Because again, if you were going to an Ivy League school, but you didn't play hockey, you're still going to an Ivy League school. That's the thing that will keep with you the rest of your life. So, and look, I get the Canadian Hockey League has the stipend so guys can go to school afterwards, but how many do it? We never hear percentages about after that. We only hear commissioners talking about that they can do it. So at least with college hockey, for as long as the guy's there, they're going to school. And I get it. Not everybody goes to the whole four. But what we do see and don't hear about a lot, Jess, are guys that go two or three and then finish up summer courses. And some of them are smart enough that they end up doing it early. We've had Nate Ewell on the show. The numbers back it up. I mean, they get they get 92% of those who have attended college hockey to eventually finish their degree. And I would be interesting to see how that goes up against other sports, because I think hockey, in my view, and I guess it's a biased view, I think hockey players tend to be more interested in their education than basketball or football or any of the other college sports. Well, I would say it's definitely higher than basketball. I would think it's higher than football, but it's not fair for football because they have a lot more players. So we'd have to you know, come up with a different way of looking at that. And baseball it's really not the same because how many guys even go four years in baseball? If you're a great player, you're going one, maybe two, and that's it. It's similar to basketball. Now, the ones that do go, they may indeed graduate. And so baseball could be close to hockey. I just don't know. And Rush, the NHL season is quickly approaching. Games will start on Wednesday. Are there any teams or young guys that we should keep an eye on that you think might make some noise in the big leagues? You look at the Minnesota Wild and Kirill Kaprizov could win the Calder. Like he's one of those guys that he's been scoring 30 goals a year for a while now in the KHL. When he played against his own age group in the world juniors, he was a star. So I don't see any problem with him coming in scoring 20, 25 goals. And that certainly is going to be a pretty big deal. I think when you look around the league, I think Stutzler will make it. He'll be a, a bit of a factor. We know Lafreniere is going to be a factor. The thing about Lafreniere is, I don't know if he'll win the Calder because 
Quinn's going to probably start him the hard way. He's not going to start him on the top power play. He's going to probably play third line to start and then see how things progress and pick up. And if they go that way, then he might go 10, 20 games before he can really start to put meaningful points on the board. It's better for your development that way. It's not great for winning the Calder. But again, you know, I always look at it like, hey, there are plenty of great players that don't win that Calder award. And that's okay. You want a guy to have a great career. You know, obviously Lafreniere, Sorokin with the Islanders. It's going to take him a little while to break in. There's no question Trotz is going to go with Varlamov first because he knows him. But at some point, if he sees after like four or five games that Sorokin's clearly better, then they may be able to make a switch at some point. But it could take five, 10, 15, 20 games in a 56-game season, right? So Sorokin will eventually be a factor. But I think it may take him a little longer than like someone like Shesterkin, who the Rangers were looking for that opening based on Lundqvist failing a little bit, whereas the Islanders, they're not in that same spot. I think you definitely have to look at Sorokin too. And and there'll be other guys, some of the guys that just got back from World Juniors, who's in camp yet, who isn't. I know guys like in Buffalo, like Jack Quinn will get in camp. And, and Dylan Cousins will be another one to watch. I like him a lot. The problem with Dylan Cousins is he's a power forward. And yes, he's got a great wrist shot. So if you're going to put him on a top power play, he'll score some goals with his wrist shot. But I don't know if he'll even get the same numbers Kirby Doc did first year because he has to be... Playing a certain way, he's, he's a good skater, but he's got to play a certain way to shoot from the areas of the ice that he shoots from. But because he's a bigger guy, he's going to be a target. It's not like Trevor Zegers, who I also would look out for, who can skate to a lot of other areas and do a lot of other things, a little bit better of a playmaker than Cousins, and still can score as well. I feel like that guy, even though people are worried about him because he's smaller, he took a beating in the World Juniors and played every game. Like He was fine. His points were great. He actually had more points than Cousins. So Cousins, to me, is one of those guys that if he doesn't start the season with him and he's on a taxi squad, I think that's fine. But if he does start the season with him, you know, hopefully they put him on like the third line and on the wing and not in the middle. This is why I, I love having Russ on, because I can talk hockey with him for hours. He is one of the best. He's a hell of an author, people. He's got so many books out there. If you don't even have one book. You're missing out. You have got to pick up his books. Just go to Amazon and type in Russ Cohen. That's all. He's a good guy. He does his homework better than most people do. There's a reason why everybody wants to get Russ on their show. Because he knows what he's doing. I appreciate that, Jeff. I've known you now since, what, 2005? It has been one of the best pleasures I've had in doing this job. Russ, we always love having you on the show. Thank you so much again for joining us. It's always a pleasure having you here. Appreciate it. Thanks, Luke. That's going to do it for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Prospect Park for Jess, at Luke Legrano for myself. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to another episode of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. And I'm Jess Rubenstein. Again, my thanks for you spending your time with us. Please be safe and don't forget to wear your mask. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E 
AV on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.